0: Hi friends, this is episode 6 of the Bible Lab Podcast.
1: You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy
0: Ice. Thanks so much. It's so great to be with you for another episode here as we continue our series called Stranger God, the God of Exodus. Now this week we have got a great episode Oh, we might actually be having too much fun this week, but I know you're going to love it because you're not only going to laugh a lot, you are going to go to the depth of one of the greatest issues in your own heart, one of the greatest struggles possibly that you live with day in and day out. And how we are going to discover this today is by taking a look at a castle. That Pharaoh constructed. It's his last castle in the struggle to maintain his own godship, his own lordship over his own life and over the children of Israel. In this episode, you are going to hear God's secret weapon against this and how he used the secret weapon to try not only to free the Hebrews, but to also free Pharaoh as well. Now, before we get into the discussion today, I, I want to give you a special invitation to listen at the very end of the podcast. I have a special announcement about episode seven that you do not want to miss. And so hang on all the way to the end because I want to tell you a little bit about the next episode. Until then, I invite you to say a little prayer right now for God to work on your heart, to show you relevance, and to help you as you go on this journey together with us here at the Bible Lab. Number one, yes and no on your study guide. Number one, I am surrounded by proud people. I am surrounded by proud people. Honest people say yes. The people who are afraid of the people sitting next to them are raising no cards. (laughs) No, honey, you're very humble. Number two, if you are comfortable with who you are, you are not humble. If you were comfortable with who you are, you are not humble. Ah, predominantly no. A couple of yeses, but predominantly no, okay? And uh, you have an exclamation mark with the no. Um, good. That's not against the rules. Number three, there are some sins that are not caused by pride. There are some sins that are not caused by pride. Oh, this is interesting. It looks predominantly yes, some no's, and a couple of I don't knows, a couple I don't knows. Keith's got a I don't know, good. Number four, to accomplish great things, one must have an unwavering sense of pride. To accomplish great things, one must have an unwavering sense of pride. Predominantly no, some yeses. Some of you have met some of the people I have met. You're like, why are you so successful? Oh, I can't stand you. Um, Yes. Number five, I enjoy watching proud people being humiliated. I enjoy watching proud people being humiliated. Yeah, yeah, this is the right crowd. Yeah. You know you do. And those of you who say no, it just hasn't happened yet. Oh, man, don't you love it? That person is just spouting off their mouth and then boom. Oh, thank God for a front row seat to that. <laughs> we're gonna talk today about pride. Those of you who have joined us, we're going through a journey in trying to get to know God as He would introduce Himself. God is trying to let a group of people know who He is. And the point of contact is Egypt. And the time is after God has basically been ignored for nearly 430 years. During that 430 years, they say about 200 of those years, the Hebrews lived as slaves. And during that time, they didn't remember who their God was, or if they remembered who their God was, they didn't think he mattered because their life did not change in a positive way by knowing him and by serving him. And so when God comes to Moses through a burning bush, he introduces himself. And those of you who are here for the first week of this, you remember that God introduced himself as a verb, I am, I was, and I will be, I'm a verb. He introduces himself with a name, which is a verb. We saw God throughout this process try to not only work with the Hebrews, But even last week, it became absolutely clear that God had a plan A, B, and C. God's plan A, of course, was to save everybody. Plan B is those that choose, and those who could choose were not just the Hebrews. Last week, it was absolutely clear that God was trying to give Pharaoh a burning bush experience in the plague of hail, with the fire and the ice intermingled, his own burning bush, Magical so much that Pharaoh himself, who was considered a god by the people, Pharaoh himself apologized for sinning against Yahweh. A turning point in Pharaoh's life. Obviously, God wanted not only to save the Israelites, but he wanted to save the Egyptians. He wanted the largest kingdom in the world to be converted Yahweh. Everything seemed just beautiful last week when we ended until I said, but join us next week. Because what we see in the story as we continue now into Exodus chapter 10 is that Pharaoh, even though he acknowledged that God is God and Pharaoh is not, even though he acknowledged that he had done something called sinning, what God admits to sinning, and Pharaoh had done that. And so we came to a point of saying, great, not only will the Hebrews be saved, quite possibly Pharaoh himself will be saved and all of his kingdom, and God will have a start right there in the greatest nation at that time in the world. Millions of people would come to Yahweh. And then we get to Exodus chapter 10, where it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, those of you who were here, I think it was the third week that we went through, what does it mean God hardened his heart? Here, these people are ready to go, and then God changed Pharaoh's mind? No, that's not what scripture says, right? How many different hardens is there in this story? Anybody remember? Two. There's a harden, that means to become stubborn. Even though you know you're wrong, you keep standing on what you believe you want. And there's a second Harden, which means God says, well, you know, who, you know what you should do, but you believe in yourself more than you believe in me. So I will give you courage to do what you really feel. And so here, once again, remember, we went through all the times it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and right after the fifth plague, we see God... Hardening Pharaoh's heart every single time it was the word. That doesn't mean hardening. It should be translated as strengthened. He strengthened Pharaoh's heart to do what Pharaoh believed in. To take the steps. Not to cave in because of external pressure, but to truly take the next steps in fulfilling what Pharaoh really believed. And so here again in chapter 10, starting out, the Lord says, look, you're ready to cave Because I've almost decimated your economy. With hail, you lost almost all your crops. It was an agrarian society, and so the crops were extremely important. Pharaoh says, I'm sorry. But those of us who have kids, we we always know to question our kids when they say they're sorry. Are you sorry you did it, or are you sorry you're going through the punishment? And obviously, Pharaoh was only sorry that he was going through the punishment because when God says, but how do you really feel? Let me strengthen your heart. Pharaoh says, no, the people aren't going. Today, we're going to take a look at why. And the why seems to be surrounded in one word, pride, pride. So let me ask you a question. It's the first question here on our Dig Deep under It's My Life. As a child, how stubborn were you? What standoff do you remember the most? How stubborn were you? What standoff do you remember the most with your folks? Or with teachers or whatever? Okay, write write down over here. Write down.
2: Uh, Well, I'm naturally a very compliant personality.
0: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, But uh, my sister and I and my older brother were babysitters from a young age in a family of seven kids. And at probably I was nine years old, Um, we were needed to babysit again and my sister and I said we don't want to babysit again (laughs) and we said we'll run away from home and we took our younger sister and the three of us walked a couple of miles to our former neighborhood (laughs) at that age and uh, they did send the police after us (laughs) And,
0: and how old were you?
2: A nine, probably nine. Nine years old? Nine and 10, my sister and I. Oh my
0: word, that's awesome. That is awesome. Did we have, did we have one, another one over here? While you're getting to that one, I'll, I'll share. When I was uh, in academy, my senior year of academy, I was in boarding school, boarding school in South Texas, Valley Grande Academy. Uh, unfortunately, it closed a couple of years ago. So our alumni will be in heaven, I guess. Um, But my senior year, I was sitting in chapel at the end of the boys' dorm, and our assistant dean was reading worship. Incredible guy. I love him to death. But English was not his first language, and so he struggled with reading. And so he was very much focused on the devotional that he was reading from. And while he was doing that, one of my classmates was playing a game. He was trying to see if he could uh, crawl, military style, crawl under the pews and pop up every now and then and sit for a while and keep moving around until, <laughs> until the assistant dean noticed. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I look down and he's waving and I'm just like that. And some younger uh, classmates across the uh, aisle were looking over and they were giggling. I was, like, shaking their head at them, like, you know, stop giggling. And the assistant dean stopped, he says, Roy. I'm like, yes. He says, you must two leave. And I said, why? It's okay. Just just keep reading. He says, no, no, you must two leave now. And I said, can I ask why? And he says, because you're making people laugh. I said, no, I'm I'm not. I'm not. Just, you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead and read. He goes, no, you must two leave now. I said, I'm not making people laugh. He says, no, you always are making people laugh. You, you must to leave now. <laughs> so I got up, and I too left, and went down to my room, and I was not happy. I was not happy. But, oh, well. So I went down to my room, and, uh, and the assistant dean came down, and he was scolding me about how disrespect, uh, disrespectful and, uh, you know, just how horrible it is. While someone's reading worship, you, sh- you should uh, be more reverent, and on and on and on, and And we're going round and round and round until finally, I'm I'm getting really upset, and in my immaturity, I might have called him something, like, stupid. (laughs) And in doing so, in doing so, he, he just stops, and he goes, I will be right back. And so he left, and he came back with some buckets and some sponges and some towels, and he said... Now you must wash the bus. And we had one of those great big coach buses, you know. The black smoke from the back would just completely coat the back of the bus. And he said, now you must wash. And so I was out there washing the bus. But I'm extremely stubborn. And I have this very unique sense of justice. And so when I get to the back of the bus and I, and I see all this blackness, I get this idea. And so it took me a lot longer. But I washed everywhere except for this two-foot square Uh, Patch directly in the back of the bus. And I wrote with my finger, test dirt, don't wash. (laughs) Had everything done, went back to the dorm. (laughs) Several moments later, the assistant dean knocks on my door and says, what does this mean? I said, what are you talking about? He says, on the back of the bus, you did not clean the whole bus. No, I cleaned the whole bus. No, no, there's a a spot on the back. I said, oh, yeah, there's a spot on the back. He goes, well, I need you to wash it. I said, I'm not going to wash it. It says don't wash. I'm not going to wash it. It says don't wash. It's test dirt. Someone's testing dirt. I'm not going to wash the back of the bus because I'm already in enough trouble. I'm not going to get in more trouble. <laughs> so he says, no, you, you, you must wash. And I said, look, I'm not going to wash that and get in even more trouble. So perhaps, perhaps you need to check with the science department. Maybe the science teachers are testing dirt. Have you checked with them yet? <laughs> no, I have not. Maybe you should go ask. And so he went off and asked the science teachers, are are you testing dirt on the back of the bus? (laughs) No, we're not. What? He comes back. No, no. Science teachers are not testing dirt on the back of the bus. Are you sure? Yes. Well, have you checked with all the teachers? Because obviously one teacher is testing dirt on the back of the bus. No, I have not. So you better go check. So he went teacher to teacher. Are you (laughs) testing dirt on the back of the bus? All the way through. So finally he comes back, no, no, no teachers are testing dirt on the back of the bus. And so I said, well, have, have, you asked, have you asked the principal and the vice principal? No, I have not. You better go ask them. I'll wash it off. I'll wash it off right now. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't wash. <laughs> I said, you're, you're going to get in trouble if I wash it off and someone finds out you told me to tell them, uh, tell me to wash it. So he goes, he goes to the principal and the vice principal, are you testing dirt on the back of the bus? And so the principal came to my room, <laughs> He handed me a towel, a bucket, and a rag, and his- "Wash the back of the bus. Okay. <laughs> but I have this sense of pride. It wasn't me. Falsely accused. I'm going to stand up for myself, even if I have to humiliate someone else. Question is, how stubborn are you? What have you done in your lifetime that you have stood your ground and you said, I'm not moving? No matter how true it is of what people are saying you've done or what situation you're in, how incorrect you are in your stance, you take a stand and you won't move. That's what we find today. After Pharaoh says, I'm sorry, I have sinned, God says, do you really mean it? Let me strengthen the courage of your heart to enact what you really believe. And Pharaoh says, no, the Hebrews can't go. I want you to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to Exodus chapter 10. And would someone be willing to read verses 3 through 6? Thank you so much, sir.
4: So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself, Before me, let my people go, that they may serve me, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts on your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up out of the field, they shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, and the houses of all your Egyptians, which neither your father nor your father's father have seen since the day they were on the earth on, to this day, and he returned and went out from Pharaoh.
0: So after admitting that he had sinned, Pharaoh has to build something, and we all do it. We have to build a fortress, a fortress to protect our position. Pharaoh builds a castle with the throne directly in the middle, and that throne is called pride. He has to, in some way, protect who he is and what he has. He becomes so defensive, he puts up this protective wall. And then we have to ask the question, in verse 3, what does the Bible say Pharaoh's core problem is? Verse 3, what is Pharaoh's core problem, according to Scripture. So he does not have humility. So, with the people in your life, how do you help people change from proud to humble, and how does it work?
3: you got to lead by example. you got to show humility to yourself, so people around you will see, you know, what a humble person is.
0: Yeah, so you lead by example. If you're the leader, you get to show humble servant leadership.
2: I think we need the Lord. And um, if you don't mind, I was just thinking, do you think it'd be a good thing to recognize our need for the Holy Spirit as we discuss this very powerful message you've brought to us
5: today?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to, we have a joke here where we call people a a man ahead of their time. You are a man ahead of your time, about 12 minutes ahead of your time, because that's where we're going. Yes. Yes. Because, especially in the area of darkness. And if I don't say it, someone raise a comment card and say, what was that thing about the Holy Spirit? Especially in the area of darkness. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, Mary Kay, question.
1: The difference between pride and arrogance.
0: Ah, Great question. Anybody have a good definition for the difference between pride and arrogance? Think about that while we do this comment right here because I'm coming to you.
5: I think you need self-awareness
1: to deal with pride.
0: Yes, self-awareness. It is amazing how many people, and it's not a large number, so it's not a majority, but it's amazing how many people in our lives are not self-aware, and they say some of the most unique things. By the way, I, I don't watch a lot of TV programs, and, and, and I don't enjoy but one thing I do enjoy watching and I haven't seen it in maybe five years, but the very beginning trials for American Idol, because there's so many people who are not self-aware. They're horrible. And I love it as they're walking away, and the camera's on, and they're like, you haven't seen the last of me. You don't know who. You just, you know, let go. And I'm like, yeah, I think we do. Um, yeah, the self-awareness is, is not there.
6: Yes?
2: Um, I was just wondering if you could have a definition of pride because I think there's different definitions of pride.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's where we're going here. Do you have the definition of difference between pride and arrogance? Awesome. Pride and arrogance, I, I believe, are synonymous. It's really a question of pride and confidence. Confidence says, I can do it. Pride says, I could do it better than you, better than you, better than you, better than you. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. Beautiful, man. It took me 30 years to figure that out. (laughs) Well, you're still faster than the rest of us. (laughs) Awesome. Very, very cool. Heinz.
4: I think I would find somewhere a weakness in that person and then point it very gently that I can do better than him. Hmm. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, humble. Here, uh, if I would be better than him, or show him that error mm-hmm. in a certain way that I can do myself better, yeah, that would give me satisfaction. Yeah. Even he would, whether he would agree to it or not, I would see in his face, "Oh yeah, he got me there."
5: Yeah, yeah.
2: Right up here, that. I think that pride also involves a degree of a sense of entitlement, which we've missed. Pharaoh was God. He was God for, you know, and here comes this Hebrew God saying, you know, I'm higher than you, he proves it. And so much like the child, when a child has a sense that they've done wrong, but they really want to do it, and we say that God is allowing him to be more of himself, we do that as parents, we do that as mentors, we do that when we know that there is no sincerity there, but often involved with your example uh, was one. there was something of justice. I don't see you as being prideful uh, when I am backed into a corner and I know I have not done wrong and I don't want to throw someone under the bus and I'm wrongly accused, I will stand my ground and I don't think that's pride. But if I have done wrong, because you told me, that don't take the money and go buy some chocolate, and I went and bought the chocolate because I really wanted it, and I got caught, and I felt that I had the right to do it because I helped take down the Bible lab sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> then that is the sense of entitlement where pride rises up, and I continue to be more of myself.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, in the back... Um,
2: I was going to say that... For me, the difference between pride and like confidence is that pride is more like baseless than confidence is. Confidence is like, you know, I've done things a bunch of times, I know I can do it well, I, I'm confident in my ability to do this. Pride is like, I don't know, it's like an empty assumption, you know, that is protected by a wall of just like. Yeah, it's like pride inside the, the castle of pride. There is nothing. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Yes, sir.
2: Yes, I just wanted to comment on the fact that there is nothing humble about the about saying that we are humble. <laughs> so. Or <laughs> being
0: proud of our level of yes, humility. Exactly. So
2: this is something that we should mention. We should mention that uh, humility should be um, appreciated from someone else and not from ourselves.
0: Should be recognized by others and not lauded by ourselves. Exactly. Many people uh, state that their definition of pride is the inner felt need to be richer, live in a better home, have a nicer car, better looking. Everything has an ER at the end. Better, richer, stronger, faster. All this. The the unquenchable need to have an ER at the end of everything that you see in others is pride. <clears throat> on the flip side, I think a lot of times we mistake lack of self-esteem with humility because the people that get things done are passionate people. They're hyper-focused people. They're people focused on self-improvement, which is not a sin. And many people would look at them and say, they're arrogant. Instead, they're passionate. Because many of us, we have, at one time in our lives, we've sensed God's call on our life, the purpose, the calling that we have, and we can't quench that. It's not that I have to be better at someone at this. It's just that I have to be as good as I can to fulfill my calling. And so there are individuals who say, oh, I can't do that, because what would other people think? And self-esteem gets in the way of self-purpose. And so it's it, a very challenging thing. Jordy. Um, for how to change someone from proud to humble, I remember reading an article about someone who worked for the Letterman show. Mm-hmm. He uh, he would prep the crowd uh, before the show started to get a feel for how hard they laughed. And uh, he said that there was always one or two people that would laugh harder than anyone else, and they were very distinctive. And
2: that took away from the laugh track. So. He would, he would find those two people, and then he would make the crowd laugh at them uh, so that the crowd had
0: something to rally against, and it would humiliate those two other people, and it would be a more even soundtrack. <laughs> so public shaming. Yeah. <laughs> Many of you would be surprised that this is the tactic that God takes, public shaming. In fact, if you look back at verses 3 through 6... And a couple of times in in chapter 10, at the very beginning, I think it might be verses 1 and 2, where God specifically says, and depending on which version of the Bible you have, it's more clear or not, but in the Hebrew, it literally says God is going to make a mockery of Egypt. He's toying with them. He's getting Israel to laugh at the proud. He's shaming them through mockery. And it's right there in scripture. Yes,
3: yes. I think Lauren. the best thing to do with, uh, to reverse um, pride to humility is that if someone do things to you like um, to show their pride, you just have to show them. Um, you just you just have to show them or do the good thing for do good thing for them. Yeah. You know, to to show them that you are humble, and then you will they will get humiliated because you acted humbly on. The pride.
0: Yeah. My, my mom scared me into this uh, by repeatedly saying every day of my life, pride cometh before a fall. Many of you, pride cometh before destruction, whatever version your parent quoted. Um, for sake of time, I'm so sorry, but we're going to move on to the next section, God's secret weapon, because we've kind of gotten there in the discussion. From this point forward, Pharaoh's pride will become God's primary target. From the seventh plague onward, Pharaoh will be deprived of the chance to give in simply because of his own sense of self. God's using his sense of self against him to try to help him understand the situation. Would someone please read Exodus chapter 10, verse 7? Exodus 10, verse 7. Thank you. Dewitt. right here.
1: Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him. How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins?
4: I
0: like that translation. What was that? New Living Translation. No wonder why I liked it. What did the servant see? Pharaoh couldn't see this. What did the servant see? Just shout it out. Destruction? What else? Stubbornness. Blame on the barrel. Okay. So now they're starting to shift. Now, you guys, you understand how serious this is. You don't accuse a God of being wrong. And his officials are now saying, um, Will you look at this again? Because possibly, Pharaoh, you're wrong. Somebody said something right over here earlier. What, what was that I missed? That Yahweh is powerful. Yes. There's a word that's used here. Uh, many of your translations say ensnare, right? Yeah, do you see that in verse 7? Ensnare. Some of them say trick. Um, the Hebrew word here can mean a snare, much like a trap, that basically if you're trying to catch a rabbit, you got that little noose and <laughs> grabs a hold of their leg. But the actual... Uh, Syntactual use of this actually is the same word that's used from Pharaoh's perspective at what he's done to the Hebrews. He has enslaved them. So what the advisors and the people close enough to the Pharaoh to say something, it's believed that what they literally said is, Pharaoh, you don't understand This God has turned tables. The slaves now have it better than us, and now they have enslaved us, is what they tell Pharaoh. We're slaves now. Huge.
6: Raul, let me grab you a mic. There's a historical element in what you just said um, that um, helps us make sense of what was happening during these plagues, which most likely last, um, last several months, actually. Mm-hmm. We read it as a you know, sequential uh, series of events, but it, this may have lasted several months. In, in antiquity, the people believed that the gods of other nations were not powerful over your nation. That's why Syrian general Naaman, Naaman, uh, he would he would refuse to go to Israel and ask um, Elisha, you know, you know for, for, uh, to, to be cured because that was under God's um, nation. Yeah. And the God of Israel would have no power over Syrian people. So Pharaoh and, and his people would not believe that the God of Israel would have power. So they resisted. They resisted. No, one more, one more. We we'll, we'll, we'll uphold our position because their gods, or in this case, their God, only one, has no power over our gods. Mm-hmm. And God is showing repeatedly, yes, I do have power over your gods. Yeah. And now the people of Israel are, be, are beginning, beginning to believe it, mm-hmm. and the ofi- Pharaoh's officials are be- beginning to believe it as well.
0: Absolutely. Great, great point. All right, Heinz.
4: Could you use the term defeat?
0: In, instead of enslave?
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, it's not part it of, the, of the synonyms that, that they put in the definition. Most of them are trap, ensnare, and in this case, enslave. So those are the, 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 the words that they say that this Hebrew word actually meant. Um, so I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not comfortable with us going to that level without... without um, you know, without stretching it. Um, But uh, it's believed that what the officials were actually saying is we're now slaves. Thanks a lot, Pharaoh. Can we look at this a different way? Yes.
5: Um, You notice that uh, what they're talking about is Pharaoh's heart. Nobody can see his heart, but God. Yes. And so um, the more hardened it becomes, it doesn't just hurt him, is people are saying, do you see that when you're trying to protect your own heart, it hurts others? So that's what they're saying. Do you yet know that it's hurting everybody around here? Excellent point. Excellent and point. The thought about hardening versus softening the heart, mm-hmm. um, since God does nothing without, um, but pure love, his pure love to the heart you wouldn't know whether it was hard or soft. But if it's soft, it has the oil of the spirit and it has living water in it. If it doesn't have that,
0: then the heat of God's love hardens it. Otherwise, it melts it. Absolutely, incredible, incredible point. Where's the love it cards? Come on. That was incredible. Um, You bring up a great point that someone actually came up after the lab uh, last week and had a question. And uh, my response to it, connects that and what we did last week. Uh, the question was, okay, if the hail killed all the livestock, how do you then later have livestock in chapter 10? We're, we're going to get there where Moses talks about it. And the reality is, this is proving point by point that throughout time, God's plan is working, if not in Pharaoh's heart, at least it's working in the heart of several Egyptians who, when they hear that God's going to bring they bring in their servants and their livestock because they know if God says it, it's going to happen. And so God's plan of love in trying to get through the tough exteriors or the ignorance of our past is having an effect. In fact, when we get uh, in the future talking about um, the Hebrews leaving Egypt, you're going to notice a very interesting phrase. The Hebrews weren't alone. There's a group of Egyptians that are converted, and go with him. It's part of God's original plan, and God gets through to their heart. But you're right. What happens, because Pharaoh has constructed this fortress around his heart, the reason why the other Egyptians are changing their mind is because they're not protected by that same fortress. They're outside of his walls of protection. Somebody please uh, read for us verses 8 through 11 of chapter 10. Verses 8 through 11.
1: So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he told them, go and worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will you be going with? Moses replied, we will all go, young and old, our sons and daughters, and our flocks and herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, The Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord, since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace.
0: Moses says, You ready to let us go? Pharaoh replies, Who's going? Who all's going? Moses says, everybody, oh, and our livestock, too. Every man, woman, and child. Pharaoh says a sarcastic phrase. By the way, that is sarcasm in Hebrew. He says, the Lord better be with you if I let you go. And then he says, to make it short, he says, the men can go. Women, children, livestock, they don't need to go. They don't have to go. For sake of time, I want you to flip over to the back because I want you to see Moses' response. Verses 21 through 29, would someone quickly uh, go through that? Because that gives us the, the perspective of where it goes next. So verses 21 to 29. Sounds like a lot, but they're short verses. 21 to 29. Thank you so much.
3: Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. So um, Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord, even your women and children may go with you, only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock tomb must go with us, not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God and until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight, make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again.
0: So, he comes back. What's the context of this? What has just taken place? What plague?
3: The darkness.
0: Darkness. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Bible uses uh, uh, some hyperbole here. Some of you say the darkest darkness. Darkness. Uh, it uses two words for dark. Basically repeats the same word twice. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 when darkness covered the earth. Hmm. It is without the spirit. Mm. God not only removes the light, he removes his spirit. It's absolute desperation, a godless space.
4: Hmm.
0: What was this darkest darkness. Many translations will say that it was so dark that it could be felt. Hmm. That's actually not a good translation. The translation really should say it was so dark that you had to feel your way around. Pharaoh, groping, trying to find his way wherever he wanted to go trying to find his way back to his throne in darkness so dark you could only get there by feeling with your hand. Raoul, do you still have the mic?
6: You know, the supreme god of, of uh, Egypt was God Ra, the, yes. God, the sun. Yes. And its uh, personification was Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So Pharaoh was also, uh, um, you know, the, the symbol of light. And yes. here God is striking down, completely saying, I control all of this. Yes. My question is, um, in order to break down pride in a person like me, for example, does God need to destroy what I do or who I am? Mm -hmm.
0: That's That's the point. That is the question. What is God doing here? That's the question that we're asking in all Bible labs. What is God trying to do? He's not trying to destroy. He's trying to save. He's trying to help us have proper perspective, be self-aware of who we are and who he is. In this plague, which is one of the few plagues that actually tells us how long it is, three days, it's three days of darkness. Unfortunately, because of the sake of time, I can't get to, to more comments. But I want us to ask this question. What God is doing. What does this say about God's character? This is a gentle way of helping someone break their pride. Helping someone to come to a self-realization that without God, all is darkness. Without God, we're always feeling our way for where we're supposed to go and where we want to go. Without God, life is darkness. Moses says, in response to Pharaoh, who's going, he says, there's gonna be no hoof left behind. In fact, and I many scholars believe that God gave Moses a little hoospa here, a little extra, a little extra jab to say, Oh, and by the way, we're gonna take some of your livestock too, because we might not have enough. Once again, getting at Pharaoh's pride. We're not only taking all of ours, we're going to take some of yours. What do you think of that? What do you think of that, Pharaoh? What does that say about God's character? And how might he be using the same methods today in your life, in the areas that you're proud, in the areas that we need to stop being so self-reliant and so self-confident? How is God working on your life, not to destroy you, but to bring you into the light and to pull you out of darkness so you'll stop groping around in this life? Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. I hope you have had just as moving an experience as our community had there at the Bible Lab. Now, like I promised, I have a special announcement about episode seven. But before I tell you about that, I just wanna ask you a favor. We really want you to be part of us. We want you to be part of our community, no matter where you live. And so if you would, if you haven't already, would you take a moment and go to thebiblelab.com and click on whatever service that you're using to listen to these podcasts, whether it's iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or whatever you're using, and would you click subscribe? And if you're really being blessed and feel like you're growing, would you pray that God places on your heart someone to share a link to this podcast so that they grow as well? Quite frankly, our only goal is just to make sure that people connect with this great journey to really get to know the character of God. We just want to be on the same page, having this quest at the same time, and and we'd love to have you and all of your loved ones join us in this journey at the same time. Now, about episode seven. Episode seven was by far my absolute favorite session that we had had up until that time. Now, we had only been in our new auditorium less than two months, And so, as you can imagine, we had several kinks to work out, and one of those kinks just happened to affect episode seven, and that is our sound. That week of all weeks, our equipment failed to record that session, and you can't imagine how heartbroken I was because it was absolutely amazing, not because of what I said, but because of some of the comments that the community said, and it was heartbreaking to me because they said it so beautifully, and I can't repeat it. So I want to give you my deepest apology that that most important session did not get recorded. But I also want to give you this assurance that because of that weekend, we made sure that we have a backup. So at no time will we ever, and have we, over the past several months, missed an episode. And so it's with my deepest apologies that I let you know that episode 7 on the podcast will actually be session one of a new series. It's a great series, you're gonna wanna hear it because it's talking about the message inside the miracles. We take a look, for 10 weeks, we take a look at the miracles of Jesus. And we take 10 of his miracles and we say, what was Jesus trying to say? Because Jesus didn't do every miracle. He, he didn't do every miracle that he could. He And he didn't do them all the same way. He used some really unique methodology and he was trying to tell his people a lot of things about his character, what God is like and and what he likes and what he doesn't like and and what he wants people to think about him by the methodology of how he did the miracles. And so I invite you to come back for podcast episode 7 which will actually be episode 1 of a new series called The Message Inside the Miracles. You're gonna love it and I can't wait for you to hear it. So God bless you on your continued journey to get to know the character of Christ and we can't wait to connect with you again in episode seven. Thank you for
1: listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character
0: of God.